Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Privilege to welcome you this morning. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, the third message in a series entitled Starting Point. This is a message series that Pastor Eric and I worked on together. It's the first one uh, that we are preaching in two campuses, so be sure and pray for uh, all the folks at, at Franklin Campus today. On Sunday mornings, they hear video cast sermons from Woodburn. And then, of course, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Pastor Eric is preaching. Last Sunday morning, their very first day in worship, Franklin Campus had 185 people. 185 people. Isn't that awesome? And tonight, they have their first baptism service, and they're baptizing three. Uh, three, three folks baptized tonight. God bless them. That's my saved Sunday night. Somebody joined the church on Wednesday night. Can that even happen? Uh, I, I didn't know that was a possibility. Uh, it's just wonderful. Praise God for what he's doing. Uh, it's a new beginning in Franklin, but uh, again, as this sermon series is intended to remind you, it, it can be a new beginning for you. God is a God of new beginnings. God is a God who sees everything from beginning to end. He knows your life. He knows what he's put in you, and he knows what your life can be. Only God can create a starting point for you, a, a new starting point from where you are. The problem is, of course, we don't often accept the offer of grace that God gives us. We don't always offer the opportunity, accept the opportunity to start again that God gives us. I don't know what it is about us. One person said that the only person who likes change is a wet baby. But, but the rest of us will tend not to change. We will not like to change. Sometimes, even as our life continues to spiral uh, downward, we will just continue to hold on to things as they are, as if somehow we will be able to save or change ourselves. Genesis chapter 4 is a good story for any of us who are in that position of knowing we need a new start, uh, accepting that God would give us a new start, but for one reason or another, we're just simply not willing to accept it. Uh, learn the negative lesson that comes to us from Genesis chapter 4. It's the story of Cain uh, and his brother Abel. This is a chapter that doesn't get preached very often, and it's actually probably several reasons why. The main reasons are this passage raises questions that, that none of us preachers can answer, and so we tend to dodge it. I'm just dumb enough to preach it. Um, the, the main thing here is that you have Adam and Eve and their sons Cain and Abel, and then at the end of this story, Cain goes out, leaves the Garden of Eden, but he, but he gets married. He finds a wife, and people always say, where did Cain get his wife? And I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. It's just a reminder to you that the Bible is deeper and richer and has uh, much more to it than any of us can possibly know. Or, or understand. Don't freak out about that. Just be thankful that God's word is, is, uh, is so very, very rich. I can't tell you where he got his wife, though. Anybody who can is making it up. Uh, nobody knows. No one can answer that from Scripture. Uh, we'll get that answer another day. But for now, I promise you there is enough in this passage for us to chew on and enough for you in your life today. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant, first pregnant woman, uh, God bless Adam. Uh, when she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Stop right there. That is so amazing to me. This is the first pregnant woman in history, and she just had the first childbirth, the first baby ever born. And what does she say? With God's help, I have produced a man. 
Yeah, she didn't say baby. It must have felt like a man. I've never had a baby, but I gather it, it must feel like a, like a rather large person. With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. To this point, only God has been able to make a person. God created Adam from the dust of the ground. God created Eve from the rib of Adam. But now Eve says, with God's help, I have created. I have produced a man. I just think that's wonderful. Wonderful first first time uh, in history. And now, uh, verse 2, later she gave birth to his brother, named him Abel. Two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift. But he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. Underline that verse. You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. Think about that. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, no, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod. East of Eden. Man and his wife were driving home on a Sunday after church, like you do every Sunday. Man was driving, woman was sitting, and she started talking. Started talking about the church service. She said, what did you think about that music today? Don't it seem like we sing the same, same four songs every Sunday? We sing the same four songs. Have you noticed that? Man's just driving and said, no, I, I, I never noticed that. She said, and that sermon, that preacher, don't you ever just wish he'd say it and be done with it? He goes on and on and on. Don't you ever just get tired? Did you notice how long that sermon was today? The man said, no, I didn't didn't notice. He just kept driving, never noticed. She said, that lady sitting next to us on the pew, did you notice an odor? Did you get a nose full of her? I tell you, I wish somebody next week would just bring her a rag and some soap. Did you notice her? He said, no, I didn't pay any attention to her. She said, you didn't pay any attention. A lot of good it does you to go to church. (laughs) You thinking about that? Yeah, I I was preaching, not here, I was preaching in another church. Uh, A little girl had sat on the second pew every night. One night uh, she got to meet me, I got to meet her. She said, you're the preacher. I said, yes, I am, I'm the preacher. 
She said, when you talk, it takes forever. Thank you, sweetie. Appreciate that. Thank you, sweetie. Have you noticed that uh, nearly everybody has an opinion about worship? Uh, And and you have one, and chances are on your way home today, you're going to have some kind of conversation like that. We come to church on Sunday, we sit through the worship service, and then sometime later, sometime in the afternoon, maybe on the ride home, we evaluate it. We talk about it. We talk about how we like the music. We talked about how we like the sermon. We talked about what everybody wore, some of us. We just talk. We evaluate that worship service as if our opinion matters. That's what I want to point to in this scripture. It's one of the most famous stories in all the Bible, but it begins with a kind of worship service. Don't miss that. The story begins with a kind of worship service. Cain and his brother Abel come before God and they make offerings. It's worship. And at the end of the worship service, you might say, there is an evaluation that is pronounced. But who pronounces the evaluation at this service? God. Yeah. Imagine that. God has an opinion about the worship service. The thing that you and I are so slow to recognize is that God's opinion is the only one that counts. Are you understanding me? God's opinion is the only one that counts about worship. Whether or not we ever manage to sing the songs you like, whether or not I ever manage to preach a sermon short enough for you or funny enough for you or something that keeps you awake, God help me. If I ever manage to do that for you, or if the people around you ever manage to welcome you like you like to be welcomed, or leave you alone like you love to be left alone, whether or not this service ever pleases you, honestly, is totally beside the point. We're not worshiping you. It's not about you, and it's not about me either. Worship is about God. I've had a horrible week. How many of you have had a bad week? Raise your hand. It's been a bad week. My mother has double pneumonia. We found out my dog, our 10-year-old dog, has cancer. I preached revival all week long. I'm just worn out, tired. I could come to church, and I could spend this whole hour preaching, but in the back of my mind, I could be thinking about what's wrong with me, and there's plenty wrong with me. But you and I must recognize that we don't come to church to think about what's wrong with us. We come to church to forget about what's wrong with us and to celebrate what's right with God. Did you understand? It's about God. And in this worship service, Cain and Abel come before God, and they each bring offerings. They go through the same motions of worship. But it's a very different kind of worship experience for each of these brothers. It's not because of their offerings. They bring a different kind of offering, but there's not much to read into that. The scripture says that Cain worked the ground just like his father Adam. He tilled the ground and he raised a produce of crops. And on this particular day of worship, Cain brought what he raised and that would be crops. He brought vegetables or grain, whatever it is he had raised. That's an acceptable offering in an Old Testament context. Understand that. That's acceptable. Abel, on the other hand, brought what he had. He was a shepherd. He kept the animals. He brought a firstborn lamb, a wonderful, wonderful offering to God. Their offerings are different, but, but I don't think there's much to read into the offerings. At the end of the worship service, God pronounces an evaluation, and the Scripture says Abel and his offering God accepted, but Cain and his offering God rejected. Wow. 
Apparently God had an opinion about worship and he voices his evaluation. And although they went through the same motions, only one of them had worship that was acceptable. It was Abel. What was it about Abel and his offering? Well, it's not the offering. Do you notice in the scripture, in the order of words, it says Abel and his offering got accepted, but Cain and his offering got rejected. Notice how for God it's the person who comes first. Abel and his offering, Cain and his offering. It's the person, the heart that comes first for God. In the book of Hebrews, it says that Abel came and he made an acceptable offering because of his faith. It was by faith Abel comes and worships God. When God looks into Abel's heart in the moment of worship, God sees faith. And God is always pleased with faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, the Bible says. But when God looks into Cain's heart in that moment of worship, when God sees Cain and his offering, God cannot accept it. It's not because of what he brings. It's because of the heart that brings it. When God looks into Cain's heart, God sees sin. It's his heart. And God sees the heart. God sees sin. Honestly, we're all going through the same motions of worship right now in this moment. You have all stood up at the same time, sat down at the same time. You close your eyes at the same time. You sing the same hymns. We've said the same prayers, but I promise you, it's a different, different worship service for every single one of us because in worship, our hearts are laid open to God. In worship, God sees past our words and past our emotions. God looks on your heart. And some of us in worship, we feel accepted and forgiven and loved. We know all about the grace that makes us able to stand in God's presence. And we celebrate that grace. But others of us, when we come to church, it doesn't feel like that. Now listen to what I'm saying. Some of you come to church and you are not happy here. You are never, ever comfortable here. That's why when I preach and look at you in the face, you look like you're being held at gunpoint. Many people come to church and they are not comfortable. As a matter of fact, some people get really uncomfortable at church. Every time somebody opens the Bible and starts to read, it cuts you. It's painful for you to listen and you really don't like it much. When you see others stand and worship, they lift their hands or close their eyes or sing from their heart. You just look at them and think, what in the world is his problem? You don't get it. It doesn't feel the same for you. And I want to help you connect some dots here. Would you like to know why worship is not comfortable for you? Would you like to know that while this same service that other people seem to enjoy, you don't enjoy? Would you like to know why? You can learn a lesson from the way Cain goes to worship. It's a different kind of experience for him. Because when Cain comes before God, God convicts his heart. God convicts Cain of his sin. God speaks words to Cain that are words of warning. Very serious words. You've got to see that this is a God of love and a God of grace who even in the midst of Cain's sin, God reaches out to him. And in worship, God says to him, I see you. I see your face. I see your heart. And I know what's in you. And I want you to understand, Cain, you can be accepted. You can be forgiven. This could all go right with you unless you refuse to turn and do what is right. It's a warning. It is God 
with that man's heart laid open and God right there going through the pieces. It's God who sees everything and he sees everything in your heart. And that's why in God's presence you feel guilty, you feel uncomfortable, you squirm. You can't wait for church to be over. I'm telling you why. It's called conviction. And a person under conviction can be a miserable human being. That's why you get so mad on Sunday afternoon. You're mad all day, aren't you? It's why you get mad at me. It's why you get mad at the music minister. It's why you get mad at everybody here. You are under conviction. It is God speaking to your heart, showing you your sin, showing you your true face in the mirror of God's word. And you don't like that, do you? Neither did Cain. Neither did Cain. And yet the word comes, and the word is from God, and it is a word of such grace and such tenderness. It is a God who cannot and will not work us like puppets. He's not going to take Cain and make Cain do right, but he presents Cain with a choice. I want you to see that every time you come before God, every moment in worship, you are given a, a choice, a chance. And it's a chance to change. It's an opportunity to make a new start. And Cain has that opportunity. God says, if you would just turn back to me, if you do what's right, you could be accepted. You could be forgiven. But listen to me, Cain. If you won't turn to me, you need to understand something. You need to see where this road takes you. You need to recognize that sin is crouching at your door. Back in the 1920s, there was an evangelist named Fighting Bob Schuler. Preacher named Fighting Bob. That tells you a lot about the man, doesn't it? His, his, his name was Fighting Bob Schuler, and he broadcast a radio show out of his Methodist church in the 20s. Fighting Bob got real, real famous for his ability to raise money, and he really only had one trick, but this was his trick. Fighting Bob would get on the radio on a Sunday night, and he would say, There's some man out there in radio land that needs to send me a hundred dollars and God says for me to tell you if you don't send me a hundred dollars God's gonna put me on the radio and have me share everything God knows about you the money would roll in y'all getting ideas for our next building fund the money would just roll in that says something about fighting Bob but it also says something about most people you know We have a lot of secrets. Most everybody you know and most everybody in this house, we got a lot of secrets. As a matter of fact, you could go so far as to say that some of us in this house today, we're living a lie. And we live with that kind of fear that somehow, some way, one day, our lies will be exposed. Our secrets will, will be exposed. And that's a very frightening thing. Fighting Bob could play on that. But I'm just trying to help you to understand that that feeling you have, that feeling that you've so much to hide, that feeling that your life somehow is a life of secrets and, and sin, this is the very problem that God wants you to see in your life. Because right now you have a chance. It's a chance to change. It's an opportunity to come back before you go too far. Because God says to Cain and God says to every one of us, sin is crouching at your door. The, the picture there, it's, it's a very very visual image of an animal, a, 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 a very ravenous animal that is lying in wait, waiting to pounce on you. It sits at your door waiting for the moment. 
And the Word of God says this is how sin is in your life. The thing is, it's sin. It's the devil. He ain't got nothing to do but just wait. And he'll wait very patiently for the perfect moment to destroy you. See, that's the deceptive thing. He'll let you go a long, long way, and you don't understand the danger that you're in. You really don't understand how close you are to ruining your life. You have no idea, and the devil will let you go so far. He'll let you go so far until you really can't come back anymore, and that's when he devours you. That fear you have that your secrets will be exposed... I'm talking to the man in the house that has that secret habit of going to the computer, getting on the internet when his wife's not home, looking at pornography, chatting in chat rooms, and it it would be devastating if anybody found out. And sometimes you worry about that, about being found out. I'm telling you, if you continue down this road, I guarantee you'll be found out. I guarantee your wife will find out, and everybody else will find out too. You want to know why? Because that's the devil. He doesn't just want to destroy you. He will humiliate you. He will ruin you in every way he can. He's the devil. He's not going to play fair with you. Don't you understand this? He's just waiting like a lion, roaming to and fro, seeking for someone to devour. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's crouching at your door. Don't you get this? God's offering you a chance for a new start, a chance to change, but you don't listen. You think you'll just keep on going down this road a while. Sooner or later, you'll come back. You don't understand. You can go so far that it becomes very difficult to come back. One of these days will be very difficult to unscramble the eggs. You are going closer and closer to the bottom, and you're seriously underestimating how deeply the bottom goes. Do you understand? Crouching at your door. Pastor Bob Russell in Louisville tells a story about growing up as a teenage boy in Louisville, growing up with a very godly mama, good woman. Mama had a rule in the house, and that was when Bob was a teenager, he was never, ever, ever, ever allowed to bring a girl to the house when nobody else was home. Mean old mama. Nobody, nobody could bring a girl to the house. Bob could not bring a girl to the house ever. When nobody else was home, Bob would say, Mama, don't you trust me? When a teenager asks you that, what's the best answer? No. No, but that's not what she said. It wasn't about that. Mama, don't you trust me? Don't you trust me? Of course she didn't trust him. Mama was a wise woman. Mama, don't you trust me? She did not say, Yes, of course I trust you, baby doll. I just don't trust those girls. That's what you'd say, but not Bob's mama. Uh uh. No, she didn't say that. She didn't say, yes, honey, I trust you, but it looks bad to the neighbors if they see you bringing a girl in. No, she did not say that. She said, it's got nothing to do with trusting you. That's too much temptation. That's too much temptation. See, Bob had a mama that understood how sin crouches at the door. If you had a mama and dad like that too, you should thank them. Bob said he'd walk away mad at his mama, but he'd also have to say, boy, my mama knows me. My mama knows me. Sin crouches at the door. God says to Cain, Cain, you may turn, you may walk away from this worship service, and you may turn, and you may go down the road that you're going to go down, but I want you to understand something. Sin's crouching at your door. If you don't master it, if you don't subdue it, if you don't beat this thing now, it is going to destroy you. See, this is the thing that God knows that you and I seem to always forget. Sin has consequences. 
It has consequences. And you can see the consequences playing out in life's Cain, in, in Cain's life as he is cursed for his sin. Notice what happens. He becomes banished, separated first from other people. Now Cain lives a life where anybody who ever sees him, he can't trust anybody anymore. He will live a life of aloneness, a life of paranoia, always running, always afraid, never ever experiencing love and friendship. This is what sin does. It ruins relationships. Those of you in this house who have relationship problems, which honestly is most of us, our relationship problems are always spiritual problems. It's not that you need Dr. Phil to help you mend your relationships. It's not about Oprah. You need the Lord. Relationship problems are spiritual problems. I'm promising you that the trouble you're having in your marriage right now, it's a spiritual problem, and it's related to somebody's sin. Marriage problems are always spiritual problems. The problems you're having with your children, with your teenagers, they are spiritual problems. Sin always ruins and destroys relationships. This is why you don't trust people. This is why you can't have friends. This is why you live a life of such aloneness. It's got something to do with somebody's sin, probably yours. Sin ruins relationships. The Bible says, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone that loves knows God and is born of God. Those that do not love do not know God because God is love. God is love. So sin and evil always work in the very opposite direction of God. Understand that. And that's why sin in your life will destroy relationships. It will ruin your friendships. It will guarantee your life of lonesomeness and paranoia forever. Sin does that. Look at the life of Cain. Separated from other people. And notice also how the sin has a way of separating him from his own self. Up until this day, Cain had always been a great farmer. He could work the ground and the crops would just grow for him. But God says, from this day on, because of your sin, that ground ain't going to do nothing for you no matter how hard you work. Some of you right now, that's your life. No matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you try, nothing goes right. Nothing goes right for you. It's as if everything you touch is cursed. And don't you understand? It is. It's because of the sin in your life. It's a consequence of sin. It's as if you are somehow banished from your own self, from your own life. Nothing you do is ever going to be enough. You can't fix this. You can't clean this mess up on your own. Most importantly, Cain's sin separates him from God. It's God's presence now that he's driven out of. Whereas before, he could come before God and worship and come before God and even experience the convicting power of of the Holy Spirit. Even though that's uncomfortable, it's still a blessing. It's a blessing when God continues to reach out to you. It's a blessing that God continues to warn you and put people in your path who will tell you the truth. Because woe to you on the day that you don't hear God's voice anymore. Woe to you on the day you have nobody left in your life who will tell you the truth. Woe to you when sin completely separates you from God's presence. One day for eternity, that's what we call hell. So Cain comes back to God and says, God, that's too much. My punishment is more than I can bear. It's too much. 
What are you thinking right there? If you were God and this was Cain, remember Cain killed his brother? You remember that? He's the first murderer. He murdered Abel, an, an innocent guy. Uh, he done nothing to Cain. He killed him, cold blood. And that blood cries up from the ground for vengeance, cries back for, for punishment. And Cain comes back and has a gall to stand before God and go, I think this is too much. It's too much. What would you say if you were God? Oh, I'd just love to hear the speech you give Cain. You ought to hear the speech I would give Cain. If this were my son coming in with something like this, he would get a lecture. He would get something like he'd never gotten before. As a matter of fact, if you and I were God, probably we would make sure Cain would get exactly what's coming to him. And what's coming to him would be the punishment he deserves. He killed his brother, so Cain deserves to die too. Don't you agree? He deserves that. He should die just like Abel, only slower and more painfully, I would hope. I mean, you want to see this guy get what's coming to him. He comes back to God and says, it's more than I can bear. And what does God do? The most surprising thing, the most unpredictable thing, who knew that God would respond like this? God shows him grace. Does Cain get what he deserves? No. No. Instead, God puts a mark on him. A physical, visual mark so that anybody who sees Cain will know that this man is protected by God. Protected by God? Yeah, yeah. Cain goes out. He starts a brand new life. He does find a wife. He has children. He builds a city. That's what the scripture says. Cain does not get what he deserves. He gets grace. He gets an opportunity. Don't you understand? No matter what kind of mess you've made of your life, God still meets you with grace. He offers you grace. You understand how grace works? Two guys went to the same church. Their names were Paul and William. Both of these men were great godly men. And both of these men got very, very serious about their desire to be men like Christ. For Paul, the problem was his mouth. He had a very, very bad habit of using profanity, and he used it a lot. He used it especially on the golf course but also at work and too often around his family. And the Lord convicted him about it. This was a matter of holiness, a matter of integrity. And Paul very much wanted God to help him clean up his mouth. So he asked his friend William. They became buddies at church. They became accountability partners. They would meet every single week for the special purpose of holding each other accountable for the changes that God was making in their lives. So Paul said to William, I want you to make me accountable. Every single Sunday when we get to church, I'm going to put $5 in the offering plate for every time during the week I've sinned with my mouth, and I want you to hold me accountable for it. I'm going to put $5 in the offering plate. First Sunday came around, Paul had to put $155 in the offering plate. Y'all getting new ideas about the next building fund? $155. Second week, something like $130. Third week, something back up like $140. $5 for every time he sinned with his mouth. William watched this go for several weeks, how the man just kept paying his money, kept saying he was sorry, but, but never changed, could not somehow break the power of sin in his life. William was a wise friend. He said this to Paul. He said, Paul, next week we're going to do this differently. I'm going to change the rules on you. It's still going to be $5 for every time you sin with your mouth, but next week it's going to cost you more, and it's also going to cost you less. Paul didn't understand what he meant, but the next week when they came in, 
William handed him a check. It was already filled out to the church. William had signed it. It was a personal check from William. He said, whatever it is you owe this week, I'm paying. From now on, whatever it is that your sin costs, I'm paying. That first Sunday, Paul had to write out that check for over $100 from William's checking account. Second week, check was made out for something like $40, $35. There was no third week. There was no third week. Do you understand what I'm saying? Once Paul experienced grace, once he recognized that his sin was costly but was also somehow not costing him its grace, something about grace, it breaks the power of sin in your life. And only God can offer you this. Only God can take the message you've made of your life and turn it into something else. God does that by his grace. My friend, you need a new start. And the only way you're going to have a new start is from God and by his power and his grace. I know that there's a part of you that feels that conviction of God. You feel that voice speaking to you. You know you need to change. You know you need to do something about the sin in your life. You know that one of these days the path you're leading down is going to lead your destruction. You know that. But there's something that makes you not turn. There's something that makes you not come back to God. There's something that keeps you separated. And I'm telling you that something is your sin. It is your sin. It creates separation between you and God. And the further you go down this road, the harder it will be for you to come home. Don't you understand? You don't want to see where this road ends with you. Sin is crouching at your door. So here we are in worship. We're all going through the very same motions. From the outside, we look very much the same. But God is looking on your heart. God sees your heart. And he's speaking to you right now. He would say the same words to you that he said to Cain all of those years ago. He would say to you, you can find acceptance. You can find forgiveness. If you'll turn to me, do what is right. God said that the blood of Abel cried up from the ground. And what did it cry out for? It cried out for vengeance. It cried out for punishment. It cried out for the murderer to get what he deserves. But notice what the word of God says in the book of Hebrews. Wonderful verse. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of, say the word, forgiveness, speaks of forgiveness, instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. The verse is comparing the blood of Jesus, the most innocent man, the only innocent man ever to die, and he died for your sins, and his blood was spilled, and the scripture says that the blood of Jesus cries out, just like Abel's blood cried out, but Abel's blood cried out for punishment and vengeance, but Jesus's blood cries out for your forgiveness. God's saying to you, you can find acceptance. You can find forgiveness. You can find a whole new beginning. If you'll turn to him, you'll find grace no matter what kind of mess you've made of your life. Pray with me.
Oh, Lord Jesus, maybe nobody else can see, but Lord, you see what a mess we've made of our lives. God, you know my secret thoughts. You know my secret sins. You know my fear of being exposed. You know how all of us are, Lord. You see the sin within us, the sin that crouches at the door to destroy us. God, I pray today that each and every one of us would have the courage and the grace to change the path we're walking. Oh, God, help us to understand the consequences of our sin, how already we're suffering for our sin, and how, Lord, the road of sin continues to lead us to more and more suffering, finally to our destruction. God, I pray that you will bring folks back from that road, back from that edge, Lord. Please, Lord, don't let people in this room today have to hit the bottom, Lord, but before they begin to look up to you. Oh, Lord Jesus. Your blood was spilled on the cross, your innocent blood, and it cries out for our forgiveness. So, Lord Jesus, by the power of your blood, help us today to find our sins forgiven because of you. Help us, Lord, to turn and repent and to begin, Lord, to want to follow you, to worship you, always to yield to your voice, always, Lord, to want to do right by your grace and by your power. God, we can't do this on our own. It's only by your grace, Lord that we could possibly begin again. But Lord, today, help us to have the desire and the courage to begin again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you a chance to respond to the word of God today. I remind you that there will be an evaluation at the end of this service. It won't be your opinion that matters. God's opinion will matter. And what will matter is how you surrendered to him in this worship service, how you laid your heart open before him, how you did exactly what he asked you to do, and only you know what he's asking you to do. Whatever change he's asking you to make, whatever surrender you're being asked to undergo, whatever he wants from you, open your hand and give him. And let him give you his grace and forgiveness. The altar's open if you wish to come and pray. I'm at the front if you have a public decision to make. If you want a prayer for healing, come to the organ side. The deacons will lay hands on you and pray for you. However you need to respond, this is the moment. Let's stand together and sing. Brother Andrew. Hymn number 308, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. Hymn 308. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Help my own. 
take your seats. I want to present a couple of folks to you. Here at the front, uh, this right here is, is Kaylee, right? Kaylee's a young, young woman who comes this morning to unite with our church. Kaylee gives a testimony of salvation. Uh, she knows that she's saved. She got saved at her grandma's house. Uh, she felt the Lord's presence. She prayed to him. She felt the Lord's assurance that he had saved and forgiven her sins. She ran straight and told her grandma, and she's known from that day on that her life was changed, and that's a wonderful testimony. But Kaylee's never been baptized and never been a part of anybody's church, and she wants to make Woodburn Baptist Church her church home. Uh, all who rejoice in her salvation and rejoice in her uniting with us, indicate by saying, praise the Lord. Yeah. Kaylee's a little bit shy. She just didn't want to stand up here and have to look at you all. And so she's here at the front. God bless her. And as she goes out this morning, y'all hug her, welcome her to our church, and let her know what a joy it is to have her as a part of our Christian family. Uh, this is Jessica Newton. Jessica always uh, also comes this morning to say that she wants to unite with our church. Jessica is also a Christian. She's been baptized, and she does have membership in a church that's out of town. She wants to make Woodburn Baptist Church her, her church home and wants you all to be her, her Christian family. All who rejoice in receiving Jessica indicate by saying, praise the Lord. Yeah, Jessica, we love you.